Welcome to Season 4 of Black Family Table Talk. Listen in weekly as we share unique stories that inspire, build, and give voice to the strength of black families. We are your hosts, Tony and Tony. This week's episode is sponsored by ABTF Travels. Join us for an epic adventure of a lifetime as we host an official delegation of artists and art enthusiasts in Ghana, West Africa. Please refer to our products page at blackfamilytabletalk.com forward slash products for more information. Today on Black Family Table Talk, we go behind the scenes with Juanita Ingram, producer and creator of a hit reality docu-series now on Amazon Prime Video called The Expats, International Ingrams. Juanita shares the incredible journey of her African-American family living in Taiwan. This show is so good. So pull up a chair and listen up. Well, I want to welcome you, Juanita Ingram, to Black Family Table Talk. We're going to talk about your story. How did you get to be a Black American expat in Taiwan? Oh, great, great. It's, it's, it's a long story. No, I'm just kidding. It's not that long. <laughs> so, um, you know, I've been married to my husband uh, now for 16 years. And when we first got married, you know, I'm, I'm a woman of faith. So we, we are a family of faith. I honestly had in my spirit, like God placed it on my heart. When we first got engaged, my husband and I were arranged on a blind date. So wow. only blind date I've ever been on, by the way. And, um, but when we were engaged and we were planning and thinking about our honeymoon and everybody was like, oh, you should go to Florida or go to Cancun or, you know, something like that. And we were like, oh, yeah. And I told my husband, I said, you know, I really feel like God has placed it on my heart that we should go international. At that time, I was 27 years old. I never left the country of the United States before. Uh, wow. I don't, I had not. So I was wow. 27, had never left the U.S. And I'm from Chattanooga, Tennessee. My husband's from Alabama. And so, you know, we maybe traveled around the U.S., but never left outside of home. And God really placed it on my heart that we were going to have an international life. And I know people think that that sounds crazy, but it happened. And I told my husband, I said, you know, I don't know what God's preparing us for because I had no evidence of this, no no reason to think this at the time. Um, I said, you know, I don't know why this is on me so much, but I really think we need to leave the U.S. for our honeymoon and get accustomed to being abroad. I don't know what God has in store for us, but I really feel like this is something that we need to do. And he said, okay, you know, if you think so, uh, Punta Cana was going to be nice. You know, not that Punta Cana is not international, but I was like, no, we need to go abroad, abroad. So our first trip abroad was to Rome and Florence um, in Italy for our honeymoon. It was a great trip, but we were horrible tourists. Like we overpacked. We were trash. It was horrible. Like we were that we were those tourists where you see like we're in a fanny pack and we were trying to make sure nobody pickpocketed us. And we were like over scared everything. We were so horrible. Like we were not the international Ingrams, I'll tell you that. It was horrible. Um and but we made the commitment on that trip that every anniversary we would go abroad. So the next year 
with five other couple friends. We went to Paris. Then our third year after that, we backpacked across Spain and just got accustomed to being in foreign places. A couple of years after that, I had kids. And then all of a sudden, like a year or so later, uh, my husband, you know, he's his job was like, we've got a job opportunity for you to go and live abroad. So I'm what you call a trailing spouse, trail behind our spouse's job. And um, I don't think that we would have had the confidence because we lived in London for almost five years first. Uh, work-related move. I don't think we would have had the confidence to live abroad at all had we not traveled there extensively first because it demystifies it, you know? So I think traveling made us have the confidence to know that we could live there. So that's what really got us prepared to do this. And we did that for, we were in London the first time, then we moved back to the U.S. for a little bit. Here we are in Taiwan and being in Asia, it's not London. There's a big difference when there's a language barrier. I think that's a different type of international experience, but we're loving it. Um, Thus far, it's hard to believe that we're almost at two years now. I spent the whole first year <laughs> recording our experiences. My husband spent the whole first year. He was working. And and I tease him a lot. I'm like, you know, you're really only 30% of the show. Like, you're an extra, you know? So <laughs> that's all. But I think um, doing this for the first year just really made it go by so much faster. And because for the show, uh, we were talking and we were thinking we were pitching it and maybe somebody else would you know, pick it up or something. They kept asking us like, well, what are going to, what are your high stakes? We were like, oh man, I don't know. You know, I knew, I knew living abroad presented its own dramas. I'm like, I just wait for it. You know, you have to, you have to plan anything or have contrived storylines or anything. Mm. Living abroad presents its own challenges and hurdles. And part of the ethos of the show was that we wanted to do smart reality TV and do something positive. You watch with your kids, family oriented, um, uplifting Black families, uplifting Black men and Black mm-hmm. women. You know, so we prayed. We were like, you know, God, let us have some high stakes. And then by the end of this season, we were like, okay, God, cut. <laughs> we got it. You know, like, we got it. No more, no more drama, please. Because we were like, we've had health crisis. We've had COVID. We've had typhoons. I'm like, we got we got it all, Lord. This is a great season. You can stop now. <laughs> so... I have a question. I know we're talking about your experience abroad, but I'm interested in knowing a couple of things. The healthcare situation, mm-hmm. the opportunity to work abroad. What does your husband do that there are other options out there yeah. as far as when it comes to working? You don't have to work in the States or mm-hmm. there's opportunities, global opportunities. So if you can speak to those two things. Sure. I'll do the first one first, the healthcare system. Healthcare system in here in Taiwan is great. It's phenomenal. Um, they do have what we would consider like socialized medicine, um, so national health care, and it's phenomenal. Very affordable. Once you live here for six months, you qualify for that. Uh, they have similar things like that in the UK as well, and it's phenomenal. I mean, they have some great physicians. I've had great experiences. Kids have had great experiences from dental care to the body. It's great and extremely affordable. In terms of, so it's interesting. I'm doing an eight-part series uh, called Trailing Spouses, myself and another diplomat spouse. And we talk about the different types of expats and how you get to this place. Because everybody, and that's the beauty of the show is that we're it's not just my journey, but we show different people and how they got here because I think everybody's curious like well how does this happen so you can be a corporate reload which is my husband and so he works as an executive for a company and in his job opportunities to go and work abroad in various capacities and that's what's considered a corporate relocation expat so the company relocates you 
to another country. The reason why we show that in the show is because well, so often when we started different companies, we don't think about career trajectory. We don't think about career planning. We don't think mm -hmm. about, am I interested in working in their corporate office maybe someday abroad? Mm -hmm. And having those conversations early, even knowing that that's something you want to do, when mm -hmm. you're planning and talking about, oh, this is something I like to do in the company, they always ask you, where do you see yourself in five years? Right. If you don't right. even have the ability to drop that nugget and say, well, I'd like to explore working in your London office. And so mm -hmm. that's one route. Now, the other lady that I'm hosting Trailing Spouses with, her husband mm -hmm. is with the embassy for her country that she's here representing, and she's a diplomat expat. And so they exist. There's military that travel mm -hmm. around and they work maybe for the Federal Department of Defense, teaching mm -hmm. another opportunity, especially if you move to countries that don't speak English. So mm -hmm. coming here and teaching English is always mm -hmm. an opportunity. We had plenty of those. Students who study abroad and then stay. And maybe you you major in another language and you end up getting a job, getting hired and making a life and being here permanently or semi-permanently. And then you have what is self-led. Um, these are, you know, more of the nomadic type that you think about. It's just like, I'm, it's me in a backpack against the world and I'm out here, you know, and so... And they and that really works for a lot of people that just uproot and decide I'm going to go. Um, maybe they arrive here on a visa on a visa for visitors, and within three months they decide I'm going to get a job, establish myself, and really make this my home for the moment. So those are the different types of paths. In terms of companies, people have to think about like higher education and even some of the private schools, they're still corporations. So a lot of the international schools that have locations in different countries will move teachers here, not necessarily mm -hmm. to teach English, but to teach American students. And they often move mm -hmm. teachers. Yes, move. To, so my kids are in an international school here. A lot of the teachers are were brought here from the U.S. by the school, by the corporation. They put them up in housing or either give them a housing stipend or help them with housing. They help them with their visa and their, you know, immigration status. And they can either be on assignment for a particular time or they can just permanently say, I want to teach internationally. And this is, you know, but that's that's a company move. So there's a lot of opportunities I see. Tell us about your show. Yes, so we have um, the Expats International Ingrams is a 20-part docu-series. It is sort of mm -hmm. in the reality genre, unscripted genre, but we wanted to create a new subcategory. Because oftentimes, you know, when you think of reality TV, you think of a particular type of formula for entertainment that mm -hmm. is very, like, dramatic and there are no, like, I want to manage people's expectations. This is a very positive show. You can watch it with your family. There'll be no flipping tables at the run of dreams on this show. Like, not what you're going to get. So a lot of times people are like, oh, I was really disappointed. It, I learned a lot. You know, sorry. <laughs> you're going to learn. You're going to see Black people just being. And the point of the show was to normalize being abroad, to show what that looks like, and really to offer people an opportunity to know what it's like to navigate through change, because that's the common denominator. So whether you're moving abroad to another country, whether you're moving domestically to another city, you know, I've been a trailing spouse domestically and internationally. So I moved from Chattanooga to Indianapolis. Um, again, for my husband's job opportunities. And I'm a lawyer myself. We don't tote well that, you know, often um, because of bar exams and the whole nine. So, and there are so many themes in the show, whether it's, I had my first mammogram uh, right before we moved here. But I think as Black women, we have to be proponents of our health and yeah. getting mammograms more often because we more often die from breast cancer than other races do. And oftentimes it's from late detection. And so, you know, it was my first memory. I was 42. 
was a little late. I think I was supposed to get my first one at 40. But at 42, I had my first one. And nobody expects to get a call back to say, come back. And it happened. And it was two weeks before the international move. And I had to undergo removal of tissue and lumps, full reconstructive surgery. And and it was two weeks before the move and life still happened. Regardless wow. of what's going on, wow. life happens. And so, you know, there are so many relatable themes in the show for kids, you know, seeing my third culture kids navigate through another world and learning different languages. And so kids can see themselves in an international setting, but see themselves navigating through change, really moving to a new location, trying to find tribe and find new people and seeing how that works out to navigate that type of space. So my production company is a 501c3. This show falls under our faith-based division. So it is a form of ministry for us, because I think in a time where positive Black images are scarce in the media, let alone in unscripted TV. Mm-hmm. You know, you have to look mm-hmm. to like Cosby Show or Blackish or something scripted mm-hmm. to see that. But to see that in reality, in real life, we just felt like it was the same type of calling that it was to live internationally. And it is a ministry for us to mm-hmm. put those images and break down stereotypes and normalize Black people normalized healthy black marriages wow yeah the journey that god brought us through we reflect on this blessed opportunity how do we get here and the importance of education the importance of thinking bigger than where you are and really Mm. following god's purpose and god's anointing for your life and doing what's best for you because you'll hear a lot of narratives like people told me i you crazy because, you know, I was an, an attorney <laughs> and they were like, you know, how we are in the South. So I'm, a, I'm a Southern woman, a black Southern Christian woman. And, my, you know, I had a lot of family was like, don't you quit that good job? You know, you don't quit job and follow him. Are you, is he, has he prayed about this? You know, so um, we, we heard wow. a lot of things, but you got to do what's best for your family and pray about the path that God has you on. Yeah. Amen. And so, We'll definitely put the information about the show in the show notes here. Uh, I want to ask you more, some more specific questions. Mm-hmm. How old are your children and how do they like the experience? How many do you have? I have two. Uh, my son is now 10 and my daughter will be 13 in two days. She, We're entering the teen years. They're awesome kids. You know, they've been to over like 24 countries and counting. Um, they're learning two different languages. They're just, and then they're regular 10, 13 year olds, you know, so. Let me ask you, what did you experience that you didn't anticipate with regards to language barrier mm. and being a black person abroad? Mm. Was there an adjustment for mm-hmm. the country people there? Mm-hmm. Were they used to yeah. black people? Yeah. One, it depends on where you go in Taiwan. It depends on what group you're with. I think young people here could care less because they've grown up with hip hop, YouTube and Instagram and Snapchat and TikTok. There's a difference between experiencing someone and exposure. I think that a lot of people have been exposed Mm. to Black people, Mm -hmm. but what have they been exposed to? And they may not have experienced Black people. Depends on your your the age demographic that you're dealing with, because some of them have done neither. So when I get off the elevator sometimes, even in my own building, are there, um, I won't call them old, are there seasoned little ladies sometimes (laughs) that jump when they see me? Mm. Yes. You know, does that still happen? Yes. Overall, it just depends on where you go. The more rural, the more stairs you'll probably get um, because they have maybe 
been exposed to black people, but they've never experienced it. So, so my husband and I were actually doing a, a date night and we took a ferry to another part of Taiwan and they clearly had not seen a lot of us. And at the time I had these twist braids in my hair and these beautiful, sweet, little seasoned Taiwanese ladies came up to me, speaking Mandarin and touched me and touched my hair. And I was like, I don't know how to say, please don't touch me in Mandarin. <laughs> <laughs> Don't do this to me, you know, and it was, it was, it wasn't that long ago. It was like a couple of months ago that that happened. And so with the language barrier that exists, you certainly get to a place where, you know, I had to ask my Mandarin teacher, how do I say, please don't touch my hair in Mandarin. I really need to know this. and I need to learn it. ASAP. You know? um, and, and I told her, I want to say it in a very respectful way, because you'll see my friend and production partner and my best friend in the show, Brittany, uh, who came here for almost four or five months and lived here to help film the show and produce the show. She's very fair skinned uh, and has this big blonde Afro. And I told her, I was like, look, let me just brace you. It's going to happen. She's like, they're not going to touch me. I'm like, okay. I have that on film. I have not released it yet. <laughs> but we were in a mall in like downtown Taipei, Taiwan, which is the capital city, you know, very metropolis, seen black people before. We were in the mall for 5.2 minutes. Mm woman walked up to her in pure admiration it is not disrespectful it is not ill-intended the woman's face was like oh my gosh like it was just so beautiful like she couldn't help herself like oh and she was just like literally in her afro like oh my gosh this is so amazing wow that kind of stuff happens you know so that's not offensive though um Mm -mm. Growing up in the South, there's got it's got to be a huge contrast between yeah. not being able to experience another culture or an African American or person of African descent, like you said, and here in the United States yeah. that we have to go through. How does right. it impact my everyday life? So right. it seems to me that it's safe to say that it really doesn't impact your everyday life, or is that not safe to say? Um, it does in the sense that I don't think that there's been a day that I've left my apartment here um, and going someplace that I don't get stared at, you know, and that's just because they just don't see a lot of us. It's almost a, a thing of, oh, I didn't expect to see that uh, kind of thing. And it happens in terms of having a negative effect, though. You know, we had a Black Lives Matter solidarity rally here, which we show mm -hmm. in the show. Um, which was my first time even knowing that there were that many black people here. I'm like, where y'all been all the time? You know, like it's thousands of us. Where have y'all? Where Where are you all coming from? You know, it was beautiful because it was a solidarity rally. It was not a protest. We do not have, as opposed to, and I think what you're getting at is having our race be a, a negative to the extent that my life is threatened. Right. To the point where it threatens my safety. Mm -hmm. That does not exist here. The police helped us set up for the rally and take down. <laughs> like it's just a different experience. That's never going to happen here in terms of it being a life-threatening experience. What the impact of being different in your race brings to the table is what we talk about in the show. And I, I took my daughter to the rally and I explained to her why it was a peace solidarity rally and not a protest mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. we don't have those type of things happening here where we're protesting police brutality and violence. That just does not happen. Here we seen when my husband and another African-American man who's from Alabama, who has permanently resided in Taiwan. He's a former, what the NBA here is, like the NBA Taiwan, Taiwanese NBA, gave up his U.S. citizenship. It's a permanent Taiwanese citizen now. And they were having um, dinner and they have this beautiful conversation as Black men. 
and how they feel safe here, safer mm. than what their experience would be in the U.S. because mm. they don't fear being pulled over and something negative happened. You know, I've, I've been pulled over in the U.S. my 41st birthday pulling out of my neighborhood and police pulled me over. I still don't think I was speeding because I hadn't, ex- I, had, I didn't have enough space to accelerate. Uh, mm. and it was immediately, you know, what are you doing in this neighborhood? And I live there. Mm. And as soon as I rolled down my window, his hand immediately went on his gun. Mm. And that was, that's a real experience for me. Like our kids in our, my neighborhood that you'll see in the show in America, beautiful neighborhood, beautiful people. My kids had a lemonade stand at the um, swimming pool that we pay really heavy homeowners association fees to have access to is our neighborhood. And someone called the police on my kids and they live there. That's never going to happen here. There is a movement, you know, blacks it and, and people ex- exploring living abroad to escape res- racism. I don't believe that you can run from racism. I think that mm. stereotypes, prejudice, racism is, is everywhere. You don't run from it. You can, however, experience it differently. And that difference can be the mental break because black people are tired. <laughs> that, is, that difference can be the mental break that you may need. It doesn't have to be permanent. Sometimes it can just be for a period of time. I have no fear of my daughter's safety when she and her friends who are often Taiwanese say, we're going to the mall. I don't fear that something weird is going to happen because she's black. Maybe they're going to eat too much ice cream and she's going to come home and not eat dinner. <laughs> but I don't think that anyone's going to accuse her of stealing when she didn't. I don't think anybody's going to put her in a chokehold and slam her to the ground for whatever reason. Mm. That's never going to happen here. How refreshing. So, yeah. yeah, it wow. is refreshing. Wow. It is. And, and, and London was similar in the sense that London's very diverse. Now, that's a, being Black and being in Asia, you do notice the difference. So there are no Black hair salons here. But at mm. the same time, um, I do think Taiwan is very unique and beautiful in that sense, and that they're very open, very receptive. They do want to learn. They're very curious. They want to learn. And the reason, one of the reasons why we did the show is because the images that they see in the media shape how they handle or mishandle us. So if all they experience of us in the reality genre, because to them, this is supposed to be real, right? It's reality mm. TV. But if all you experience is us fighting and arguing and, you know, mm. black men are shiftless and they can't keep a job and, you know, black women are always fighting one another over the silliest of things. And this is how we deal with conflict resolution. Then they take Take on, well, it's their norm to be hostile. I don't know people that really act like that in real life. Like, I don't have friends. That's so true. Yeah, that's not real. Like, nobody does, but that's all you see of us. And so that's all they're giving. I'm enjoying your conversation. I really am. It's very, very enlightening. Is it a broadcast on a network? It is on Amazon Prime Video. Great. I'm going to tune in for sure. And I'm going to make sure that everybody that I know tunes in. Because like you said, it's something something positive. What are you most passionate about as far as um, your life and the lifestyle that you you guys have chosen for you and your family? Well, I'm most passionate about my family. You know, I'm most passionate about being Mm -hmm. a wife and a mom first and a Christian. I'm most passionate about pleasing God and what it is that I do and Mm -hmm. growing in my 
relationship with Christ. Outside of that, you know, I love being an attorney, even though I'm a lawyer and and I use my legal skills in a very different way now than the traditional practice of law. But I'm very passionate about Purpose Production, which is my nonprofit production company. I've got a ministry arm and I'm very passionate about using edutainment. So edutainment was a phrase that was coined by the Black Panthers back in the 60s, educating them while entertaining at the same time in order to empower and particularly empower Black women and Black youth and Black families. I'm a lawyer slash filmmaker now, just really fully stepping into that anointing, that gifting. And there's a heavy responsibility to put forth content that is responsible. Really, my number one focus of this show is to minister to people and to let them know that whatever obstacles they're facing, you can get through it. Uh, whatever thing that they're thinking that they can't, can't do or whatever narrative or voices they're hearing saying, you're crazy to think that you could do that. If God did it, for us. He'll do it for anybody. He's no respecter of person. Mm. I'm just a woman from Tennessee, from Chattanooga. <laughs> and, you know, you know, these are all things that God opened the door for that I take no credit in that I wouldn't be here without his hand on my life. Mm. So I'm very passionate Amen. about sharing that with people and encouraging them to walk in what may seem ridiculous to others makes sense to God. And are you functioning your company as a U.S. company? And so help people understand how you can do these things. In terms of the 501c3, I started 501c3 in 2018 in the U.S. It is a U.S. company. Have not registered it here um, in Taiwan because that's really complicated. And the process for doing that is really unclear uh, mm -hmm. in Taiwan. I did try it and I met with lawyers here and they were like, just don't worry about it. Like, because we're not soliciting money here. Uh, we don't fundraise here. It is a nonprofit. We're not doing business here. We're filming here, but all of the people that we pay, you know, are being paid through the U.S. company. So I file U.S. taxes and it's all through donations. Uh, the first season, I, I saved my last year practicing law when I knew that this was coming. And I didn't, again, didn't have any evidence, but I felt it in my spirit. I was like, we're going to mm -hmm. go back out. I started saving my salary to make a donation to fully fund this project myself. And so that's what I did as a donor. My husband made the final donation once I quit my job. And then we needed like the final couple of thousand. And, you know, I teased my time. I'm like, well, you know, you're my sponsor and my sugar daddy now. So, you know, so that's how it works. And you can start your 501c3. Various different countries have different standards, have different requirements. Free legal advice. Make sure you look into the laws of the country where you're at it's been, and get a CPA, international CPA, to advise you not only on entity structure, but also mm -hmm. on tax consequence. So that's my advice. Great advice. Good. Thank you so Thank much. You. I am inspired by your story. Thank, Thank you. you Thank so you. much for having me. Thank you for allowing me to share the story. And thank you so much for supporting the show. It's on Amazon Prime video. If you have Amazon Prime, it's free to stream, actually. So, And the name of the show is? The Expats International Ingram. Fantastic. That's Black Family Table Talk. That's what's up. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Black Family Table Talk. We pray that you've gotten some tools to put into your strong Black Family Toolbox. And be sure to sign up for a free subscription at BlackFamilyTableTalk.com. You don't want to miss out on special discounts and product offers reserved exclusively for you from our very own Black-owned business directory. That's BlackFamilyTableTalk.com. 
Under Section 107 of the Copyright Act 1976, allowance is made for fair use for purposes such as criticism, comments, news reporting, teaching, scholarship, and research. Fair use is a use permitted by copyright statute that may otherwise be infringing. The news and opinions expressed on Black Family Table Talk do not necessarily reflect various platform hosts. All topics are for entertainment purposes only. Discretion is strongly advised and all commentary is alleged. This is a Micah 68 Media LLC production.